Greetings, everyone. You're listening to the Everything Went Black podcast. It's with great honor that I welcome Colin Burns to the show. Colin is an artist, musician, and all-around creative force. He fronted two of my favorite bands, La Gratona and Slaughter Shack. If you're not familiar with either of these bands, go on a mission and find their material. You won't be let down. I caught up with Colin during his stay in New York City. He was in town for his art opening at the Storefront Project down on Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. If you're in the city, definitely stop by and check it out. We recorded this episode out in the field, so the audio is a little roomy, and I apologize for that. I'd like to thank our Patreon subscribers. I appreciate your ongoing support. It means a lot to me. I'm going to try to continue and put out good content for you guys. If you want to become a supporter, a patron of the podcast, you can check out the Patreon account at Everything Went Black Media. There's a pop-up window. And for as little as $1 a month, you can help fund the podcast, keep the lights on, and help me out with some future projects. In return, you'll get some cool downloads and a bunch of other cool stuff that I plan to give away for free. If you dig coffee, check out savagegoldcoffee.com. You can find me, Michael Hill, on Facebook, Twitter, MikeHillHQ, or on Instagram, everythingwentblack underscore Mike Hill. Also, the podcast has a Facebook page as Everything Went Black, so please give us a like. And now, on to the show. Congratulations on the show last night. Thank you. It seemed very well attended. Yeah. How do you hook up with the gallery? Um, they actually, uh, so I'm, uh, there's a publishing house, I guess you call it, in LA called Cash Machine. Okay. And they put out, like, I do zines with them, put out one, like, paperback book that's all, um, the, I did the same drawing like a hundred times with a different caption. Okay. And we put out a paperback of it, kind of made it look like a noir, like a, like a pulp yeah, paperback. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot, that's a theme, it seems like, in a lot of your work, which, you know, I've been observing yeah. your artwork for the last, you know, several years. So it seems like an influence for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. B-movies and noir and stuff like that. But, uh, but so he, the guy, uh, Dan Monick, uh, who runs that, publishing house and he's a photographer but he came to the uh, New York Independent Art Book Fair okay. last I think it was last February and the, the gallery owner picked up a couple of my zines mm-hmm. and then she contacted me through Instagram oh, okay that's, that's that's a big medium this, these days it seems like it's eclipsing like you know like Facebook for communicating with yeah and stuff you know, it's weird yeah it's a lot Easier to I don't know I like I mean it's easy the DM is a pretty a pretty effective tool I think so yeah um, and she, yeah so uh, she contacted me and I was like uh, yeah but I didn't like I didn't know her and then I like found out where it was and I used to live two blocks from there when I was in New York so I was like oh yeah that sounds great well welcome back to New York thank you it's been several years since you've lived here right yeah fifteen yeah. 15, something like that. And now you reside out in Los Angeles? Yeah. Was that like a career move? Or? No, no. It was, uh, I mean, uh, it, no, I do the same thing. That I, I work in a bar, mm-hmm. the same as I did here. So it wasn't, uh, it, was just, it was more uh, kind of uh, a lifestyle change. And I just got I'm married and knew that kids were probably in the picture sure and it seems like an easier slightly easier Dude, place to do it than here I, I, I can't imagine like <clears throat> trying to raise a family like we're, we're in we're in uh, Manhattan right now like um, you know First Avenue First Street area I cannot imagine and we're sitting in like a, a Airbnb and I can't imagine trying to raise a family in like a setting like this yeah you know you're saying you, know, you live just a close by yeah so that is like a, uh, 
seems like a logical move to relocate out west where you actually probably have space and like yeah I mean and I mean and my wife's place in New York was a fifth story walk up yeah and you just see people with the with the the strollers in the subway and it's oh, like yeah. oh my god like just up and down those steps <laughs> not not too far from this location um, I was visiting a friend that lived down here and uh, it was like I walked in I got buzzed in and as I was walking up the stairs the interior of the building looked like the tenement at the end of Taxi Driver you know, <laughs> where, where, where Travis Bickle's gunning down all these like you know criminal types and as I was walking in, one of the doors opened up and like this, this young lady, like, um, you know, probably like a graphic designer or advertising professional was lugging her, her newborn kid down the stairs. And I was just like, man, like if this is like the eighties, you know, like you would never be caught dead in this neighborhood. Right. But the irony is that even though the neighborhood has come around, quote unquote, it's still a shitty place to kind of live. Really? I have to, you know, I cannot <laughs> recommend living in New York city to anyone really. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, uh, I definitely got, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, when it's 68, I have a sweater on. Like, I've definitely become accustomed to uh, L.A. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, so, you know. That's sort of California. Um, I love it that there. I mean, I, I, I was, uh, I was always, it was the only other, I spent a lot of time there before I moved out there. Right. And it was kind of the only other city that, that, uh. That had the uh, kind of the same kind of fascination for me as New York does. Like, I feel like it's the only other city in America that has as much to offer. It's as diverse and as big, and uh, but the you know the the temperature is pretty seductive. Are you a James Elroy fan? Oh yeah. See, that's yeah. whenever I'm in LA, I think of like LA Confidential. Yeah, yeah. The big nowhere and that whole thing. Yeah, totally. I mean that that like. And I mean, my first my first time in LA, so many things that I'd read and seen like finally made sense to me because I was like like Raymond Chandler. Oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, this is it's taking the you know it goes from afternoon to nighttime because he's driving across town yep. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, totally. And uh, and yeah, I mean that was that was a big it's. I, I feel like my first couple of years there, like I didn't drive before I got there, so I, I learned to drive out there, and uh, and it just imagine like all the places that could be a body dump. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yep. like, it just you're like it's it's less so now. Like it's getting the past few years have been tons and tons of of uh, uh, gentrification and construction and, and new building and stuff like that. But uh, but it still it still has that still certain times of day well even like uh, I just finished reading this book called Under the Big Black Sun which is like uh, oh is it the, the LA oral history book? yeah it, it was fair there's a lot of like long winded pieces by people that were more marginal I think than like you know like for example Exene and John Doe have quite a bit in there Rollins has like one piece and like Mike Watt's got one piece but then oh, wow. there's like all these other you know and like that's like the late 70s like punk days you know or bands that even like people who are <clears throat> into like Black Flag and like American Hardcore type stuff you know probably don't know about the Screamers or you know the Tuxedo and... Moon or any of those bands and it's for that reason it's a good book to read because it, it could turn you on to like some really interesting music however one of the things they bring up being an East Coast person myself is like the difference between like the East Coast punk and like West Coast punk and how car culture and like that whole like you know SoCal like vibe kind of crafted the music differently than bands out here did you know what I mean and yeah it's just like an interesting sort of like you know that kind of dust bowl like migration of people like that sort of influence on those people versus like the East Coast which is like more of like a recent immigrant you know like a lot of people that come to New York or Boston or like you know, they're first generation like Americans, you know. People out in the West Coast are like their families have been here for, you know, hundreds of years. Wow, like, yeah. This westward migration of people and except for of course like, you know, the, the Chicano people involved in, in punk and hardcore back then too. But uh but yeah, it's just uh, you know, having traveled out 
Los Angeles several times and growing, having a growing appreciation for that for that um, that part of the country. But anyway, let's talk about the show last night. Okay. So um, I saw, you know, I took some notes. I see a couple of themes recurring, you know. The uh, Cult Awareness Network, okay? So what's that all about? Well, I was uh, uh, watching... I mean, I've, I've always been pretty fascinated with cults. And it's one thing, like, if I'm having trouble uh, being able to focus on reading something. Yeah. If I find a new book on Manson, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm right there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, like, just... This is bringing back to LA just a little bit, but but I was when I was leaving New York, and I was like breaking down my wife's place and my place, and still working four nights a week, and it, it was a struggle, you know. And I was just like, what am I doing moving across the country? And I was walking down, uh, walking down uh, West Fourth Street, and right in front of NYU where they always have the books. Yeah. I picked up a copy of The Family by Ed Sanders. I hadn't read that one before, and and I was like, and it's such a that's still my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. just, just the language and the way he writes, and it's almost a parody of, of like hippie speak. Yeah, and, and uh, um, and then it's kind of it's kind of a great yin yang to Helter Skelter, of like the kind of tight Bugliosi, like, uh, yeah. like rigid, and then this one's. Well, Sanders, wait, Sanders, wasn't he in the, um, the Fugs? The Fugs, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, so he was kind of, you know, outside. Yeah. Weirdo guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh, but any, so that was like that. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is where I'm going. And that was kind of a, a great thing. But then, I mean, even with like all the La Gretona flyers, there was always women with knives, you know, mm -hmm. going back there. So it was subconscious if it was for a long time. But so, uh, but more recently, and even after when I first got to LA, we were on the we were on the West Side, and uh, I didn't have much money, but the the Venice Library was pretty awesome, and they had a great uh, esoteric and religious section in the public library, and so I would read I was reading all sorts of books about any cults I could find, so it's been a long time. The process church type stuff. And process and and like I think. I can't remember what they're called, the ones that do like fishing for Jesus, you know, any, any th kind of thing. There was a, any, uh, you know, of course, um, Jonestown. Yeah. Like yeah, that. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I picked Branch up. Davidians. Yeah. 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 I had, yeah, I was all, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I remember like, I mean, I, as a child, Patty Smith, I mean, Patty Smith, Patty Hearst oh, yeah. <laughs> was like just watching that on the news. And then I remember the day getting a newspaper after Jonestown. And those are just like, I was probably 12 when that happened. And, and uh, it, it was, it, it affected me. Um, so I still read about those things a lot. And then just recently, there was a, a kind of a slew of great documentaries on Netflix and the, the Wild Wild yeah, Country. The wild, wild. Yep. And then there was another one that was just a one-off that was about uh, an L.A. an L.A. cult. And they mentioned the they mentioned the Cult Awareness Network in it as a way to it was a place where you could go if you're you know if you were afraid that you're one of your actual family members was involved in something. So you would call this people up. Um, and they would and help you reclaim them from the cult type of stuff and uh, but but on Tuesday as I was setting up the show someone told me someone like stopped in the window I, I installed the windows and I had the one yeah. that said cult awareness network and she was like I'm gonna ask you about this and she's like did you know that they were that the cult awareness network got into some legal dispute with Scientology and Scientology had enough money that they just absorbed the cult awareness network so now if you contact it it's actually you'll be speaking to Scientologists oh wow or, that's weird <laughs> yeah so I was like I don't know wow. if that's true or not but I was like oh that's that's like awesome. the ultimate in like corporate takeovers really yeah. it's like okay we have an adversary here and now we're just going to buy them out they just gave them an envelope filled with cash and they're like okay we'll go away because that's like you know the, the Scientologists that's like a, you know they're, they're almost like um, 
you know, the Masons or something yeah. like that. They're this long reaching influential group that no one really knows about because every documentary that comes out, there's like they a, a squash. Yeah. Like, people, yeah, they squash it. Exactly. So, you know, who knows what the truth is? Yeah. Another phrase I ran into was the uncanny valley. Okay. So now, you know, but one of the things I like about your artwork is that, you know, there's, there's imagery, which is mostly beautiful women or Christopher Walken. Okay. Um, and then there's some sort of text that might appear to be unrelated, you know, and I guess that leaves the, the observer open to interpret whatever image, whatever sort of free association they have with the artwork. So when I think of the Uncanny Valley, I think of just, um, like, when you're looking at something that is being presented to you as real, but there's like a sort of like event horizon point where it's, you know it's fake, or it can be real, but it's that sort of convergence of that points, of those points. Yeah. So, I'm not exactly sure how that relates to the artwork, but, you know, that's like kind of what I was getting. Yeah, I mean, I know it's also uh, with the, with all the, like, uh, uh, sex robots and stuff uh, that they're trying okay. to make, like, there's a thing where it's, there's the Uncanny Valley is when something uh it's that disconnect between something that's a, that appears real but you know isn't real and it's just what you said yeah but but then so that so that now like some people are doing when they're making the the sex dolls they're making them cartoonish enough to try to to not have that effect you know try to uh but then it's almost like, but then people are doing, using the snapshot filters that make them more look like the sex dolls. And then people are getting, humans are getting plastic surgery to try to make them look like snap, the way they do in snapshot filters. So it's yeah. kind of just that, um, that whole thing. And I'm also, also the sound of that phrase is great. It's all, I mean, it reminds me of like the big valley. I mean, the valley too, like I, I think of California, I think yeah. of porn industry, and but the uncanny valley just also like is it a place you know like it, it has a it conjures a lot of stuff in my sure. mind do you watch Westworld at all have you seen that I, I haven't yet yeah, I, it's, it's definitely it, it's like what we're talking about is, is addressed in that um, this second season so I mean I, I enjoy it it's hard it's hard to follow at times you almost have to like make notes I think right because they jump through time a lot there's like these weird parallel storylines that go on in different segments of time which adds to the sort of you know like confusion of the, the times but right. yeah it's, it's similar to that you know now one of the things you know it's interesting it's like the a AI like in our society you know and, and uh, on the train over here I was thinking I was thinking about artificial intelligence because everyone's on their phones and right. listening to music on my phone and I was thinking about how like in this city particularly there's all these people crammed together and you know, like time travel, I guess, physically is impossible. However, if you were some sort of being that existed in all time frames at once, then maybe artificial intelligence was actually the entity that took the chimps and like fucked with their DNA to make humanity so that we can create artificial intelligence. I don't know. It's like that just popped into my head when we were when I was like coming over here and I was like it seems related somehow yeah. and maybe it's because I was seeing Uncanny Valley written on the walls last night yeah you know that's a good one yeah it's weird the yeah the 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 phone thing is just it's insane and but I but I completely rely on it and I'm I I just like I've, I've worked in bars for so long and just the progression from being a place where people talk to each other or don't talk to each other or or I converse with them or not and yeah. now it's like eight different people sitting around and everyone's on their phone like it's it's, it's, it's kind of disconcerting I think too and yeah. also I don't like the access that people have to me these days but like you know if you don't respond to a text message right away or an email or a phone call like you're like I know you have your phone <laughs> right, right, so right. where are you you know it's like people can what I long for was back in the 90s, you know, you and I both lived in Boston at the same time, approximately. Um, 
I used to like disappear for hours, man. I used to be able to like, you know, I lived in a house on Hooker Street, Laurel Austin, a bunch of people lived there. And I would come home from work sometimes and no one would be home. And I would just leave. I would just go take a walk. I'd go to like Harvard Square, I'd walk around the area and I would be gone for literally hours by myself. And if someone needed to get in touch with me, I came back and there'd be a notepad, uh, you know, so-and-so call, Todd's and I was called, call him back, you know? But that was the only way someone get a hold of you. Yeah. You get a message, you know, and then slowly, like, beepers. And now we got these, like, leashes that everyone has accepted as, like, this, like, restriction of, like, freedom that people have just taken on, you yeah. know? And it's, like, you know, it's, it's, but we're so deeply connected to the technology, and there's definitely uses for it. But there is this sense of that maybe the AI existed <laughs> over the infinite time stream and they implanted this so we can create them. Yeah, you know, they're slaves. Yeah, no, it's 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 yeah, it's definitely because uh, we're all <laughs> slaves to these things. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I I didn't. I mean, I, yeah, I used to I I used to love just walking around, and I, I didn't have one. I didn't. I got a. I got one. In New York, and it was late at my time in New York. Oh, I was a late adopter too, actually. And I, I liked, you know, I was like, well, pe- people, if they know my schedule, they know where to find me. They can call my house. <laughs> but uh, I liked that not being so, to be found. So the fascination with Christopher Walken. I know that's another long-standing yeah. theme in your work. Yeah. So is it just because he's a cool guy, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I love film. Uh, and he he always straddled that line between spooky, scary, sexy, and you know his delivery was like no one else's. But then King New York, especially, has like long been one of my favorites. And and Dead Zone is I think a masterpiece of because those characters sci-fi. specifically those characters appear in your work. Yeah, you know, like King of New York. Yeah, like Dead Zone. Uh, at close range. At close range, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a great one, and uh, and then Nick from the Deer Hunter and uh, Jamie something from Dogs of War, and and then oh the True Romance. Oh yeah, yeah, one cameo, yeah. cameo in there. Yeah. yeah. Also, there's a little film called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the shit's on giggles one, right? Dude, is that the? He's like this head, basically, that just. Yeah, he's in the film, you know, here and there. Like he's like some mob boss or whatever. But that—that's another film. That's the boat drinks one, right? With, yeah. with Andy Garcia. Yeah, Andy Andrew? Garcia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one too. <laughs> yeah, no, and then you know, Lagerton. I had the the way the Frank White forty-five. Yep. All the lines were from him. I, I I think in my last few years of Boston, I didn't have. I had a, a television that was just like a monitor. Like I didn't yeah. have any reception. And I had uh, a couple of movies. I had Russ Myers, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and King New York that were just on constant repeat. And so yeah, so I've been obsessed with him for a long time. And the uh, so a friend of a friend of my wife's had a, a Christopher Walken T-shirt mm-hmm. on one night, and she was like, you know, you you could do him better. And I've been only drawing women. Yeah. For a long time, uh-huh. and I was like, "I'll give it a shot." <laughs> and then I, and then I, I couldn't stop at one because I didn't, you know, I was like, "He's got so many different looks." So I did the series, and then the woman who runs the gallery was like, "I want these in the show." <laughs> I was like, "All right, fair enough." Now the, the the muse in most of this artwork are women, and you know, there's a couple of notable faces in there: Madonna, Shelley Duvall. Um, and then just other people in there. I mean, now, and it's all primarily black and white with like a little bit of color here and there, maybe some red, you know. And then there's always, I, I think there's always text, right? There's probably like eighty-five percent of the time there's text, something like that. So what what is the, um, you know, what's what's sort of behind all that? You know, just I mean, I like women. You know, I like looking at beautiful women, but I feel like the selection of some of the some of the more well-known images you know is there any kind of connection between any any of this mostly it's uh, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff from 
the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s. There's a lot of kind of B-movie imagery. Um, I mean, I, I did like four or five. I don't even know if they all got in there of Sybil Shepherd, And I was like, I didn't even know that I found her that compelling. But like a lot of times I'm searching for... I'm just searching for images that speak to me, okay. kind of. And I kind of do it on a pretty... It's a pretty gut level of what makes me choose certain people. Um, and, then, and then once I find... But there's someone that I used for the romantic goth piece that was in the mm-hmm. window. Yeah. And I didn't even know, I just, I didn't even see the woman's name. And then uh, I found out, like, I was like, oh, I need to find that picture again and, and find out who this was. And it's this French actress named Michelle Mercier. And I never, and I think still haven't seen any of her films, but I've done eight or nine drawings of it because she had all these different looks right. and it was all like, of a type like very kind of 60s yeah. vibe yeah. and kind of vibe yeah. yeah and and but also I, I I like that like I wasn't familiar with the actual source of it because it's a little bit slightly less overdone you know like yeah. um, so it's I mean it's, I feel like it's a kind of uh, it's a pretty instinctual uh search for for these pictures something um, whenever I go to these events at art galleries um, I also I notice you know going back to the, di- the digital age we live in that people are taking photos and like shooting video and all this other stuff how do you feel about that I mean I, I feel like for me it's like kind of like a faux pas to do that at some of someone's work uh, I have to say now but, but it doesn't it doesn't bother me at the art shows the way it'll let me uh, a couple things about that it doesn't bother me at my own art show there are certain pieces of art that feel like they're like Instagram selfie things you know mm-hmm. when that when that becomes that like fortunately I didn't see so much of that last night if I see right. people taking picture of the actual work I'm not mad and I'm like it's gonna I'm like that might maybe they'll tag me maybe sure. they won't yeah. you know um, yeah, uh, I had an interesting thing happen last night where someone I'd used someone's photograph of, a, and it was of a friend of mine because some of the women are people that I know. Okay. And uh, and he introduced himself to me, and he was like, "That's," uh, he was like, "Where'd you get that source?" And I was like, "She posted it on Facebook," and he was like, "I took that picture." And I was like, oh, wow. And I thought, I was like, uh, I got kind of nervous, but I was like, you know, I was like, well, I, uh, I'll, I'll send you a copy of the print. And he was all right with that. And then he stayed for a while and seemed to enjoy the show. Yeah, that brings up a really interesting point because, you know, these days everyone's posting photos, they're appropriating things and all this other stuff. So it's like, what is the actual ownership of some of this stuff? If somebody takes a photo and they post it publicly, is that fair game? You know, it's almost like sampling in hip hop. Yeah, I mean, there. You know, it's so like the recently, H and M had H and M and someone else had these big things because they took photos of like graffiti right. by some well-known people mm-hmm. and then like put out shirts with it and yeah. without without consulting the artist. Sure. Yeah. And that's one thing, like when it's like going to be some, some commerce involved. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a but it's a it's a totally it's still a very ambiguous uh, thing and I I tried so for a while I, I tried to use models for I was doing stuff with actual people where I was taking the pictures and doing art from that but uh, in terms of my schedule it was just really hard because work and children and then and also if I'm doing stuff that is slightly uh if they're naked or whatever, yeah. I have to find a place to do that. And, place, yeah, because yeah. totally. once with a, this is a pretty good story. I was doing this uh, photo shoot with a friend of mine and and um, in the uh, uh, in a park in a public park in Los Angeles. It's over. It's way over on the west side, and I wanted the sense that there was water behind it, mm-hmm. and it was she was naked and with a knife. Okay. And 
we tried to get there early in the morning, but it still took some time to get out there. And because I wanted to get there kind of before anyone started to walk their dogs. But some woman saw us, and before long, we were kind of on the top of this hill, and there was a helicopter flying oh, man, around. LA, man. Helicopters. And we got, we got down at the bottom of, because there was only one trail out of the park, and there were police and park rangers there. Oh, and they took my. They, they took my uh, memory card oh, from man. the camera, but I was able to. I was able to get it back. They confiscated the knife because it was like too long and all this stuff, and and uh, nothing ever came from that. But it was, so it kind of put a damper on like doing these outdoor shoots for me and stuff. And then, and then she got in. She got that model got married and, and was less likely to to pose. Be naked. Yeah. Yeah. Public. <laughs> yeah. And. Um, but we had, a, we had a great connection, a great rapport working together. And, uh, and so then for, I was kind of in a place where I was trying to find subject matter for shows. And I was looking up uh, on Google. I was trying to find some stuff. This was, and this was before Trump. This was a few years ago, before that kind of Russia stuff. But I was, I was thinking about Russia and like what I knew about it that I knew from just being a kid. And like so I was looking for some... Uh, images of Russian school kids in the 70s and I was trying to Google it and Google kept saying uh, would you like to look at Russian mail order brides and I was like um, I don't know so the, I res resisted the first like five or six times that Google suggested it and then finally I was like okay show me the Russian There's mail order brides yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. and uh, I was directed by it and and there was all these pictures and it was all of women and they were all, they had a slightly 80s or 90s vibe because of, but like she's like behind the times. Yeah, they're like 20 you know? years behind over there, you know, and style. And anywhere from like, there were some like pro shots and then a lot of kind of awkward stuff. Like it was a whole range of things and I, and I just, I drew one and I was like, Oh, this is something, and so I started doing that for so for a while. I was doing, I would do kind of small drawings of these Russian mail order brides, and then I blow them up pretty large. And I did a whole series of that, and then that kind of enabled me to get over my resistance to using, which I'd done before, but 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 just imagery that was out there. And I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing right now. Now with the tactile zines that you do, which is like, I think those are pretty awesome. Just, um, I have a couple of them, you know, and you sent me some. And um, holding a book in your hand these days is almost like a rare experience, you know, especially even, even like, I mean, I, I love comic books. Yeah, and And, um, you know, with like things like Comixology and all the, like Marvel and DC have their like digital platforms, even that's becoming like, you know, digitized. We're not actually holding a tactile thing anymore. Um, so, where did, is there any sort of like concept behind like you know each zine, or is there like what what inspires you to do that? Like, what, what's the concept? Uh, I love holding paper. I mean, I, and I, I I read I read books on a on a device now, but I've tried to read comics on a device, it and it, work, it's, right? it doesn't work and. For me, it doesn't. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a, it's 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 terrible. Yeah, it's like a, it, it's wrong. <laughs> so, I agree with that, hundred percent. And uh, and I mean the, I, I go through stages where I was doing, I think my last couple years in New York, I was doing one the like almost cartoony type of drawings, always with a caption with those, um, and then. Uh, you know, Raymond Pettibone is a huge influence on me. I think it's pretty apparent. Yeah, definitely. Um, but his, I remember buying, there's a place in Alston, right on Brighton Ave. It was in the second store. It was like right between, it was like really close to where I lived. It was right between, uh, I think, Brookline Ave and, and Linden Street. And, mm -hmm. it was, and it was just, you know, it's where you could find like apoc apocalypse culture yeah, books totally. and stuff. Oh, uh, Fly Rabbit. Was that it? No, it was before, it was before, before, it was before that. 
And it was like, I think it was called the Austin Mall. It was oh, just yeah. Like, okay. And it was like upstairs. I can't remember. Oh, the Primal. Uh, Primal Urge? That's, that? Yeah, something like that. That's yeah. where Gigi Allen like, punched some girl in the face, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, so that, must, that must have been yeah, the place. Yeah, that's the spot, yeah. And they, I was living pretty close to that. I think it was on Ashford Street or something. And they had the, they had a bunch of the Raymond Pettibone zines. And, you know, it'd be like, Oh, I can afford a dollar twenty-five, dollar fifty, and I, and I still have them. But those were some of the most just that was perfection to me. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and like so eye-opening, and obviously, you know, I knew the work from Black Flag and the Minutemen. Yeah. And and that and, and that connection with the music, there was nothing else like that. Like to me, it, that like that that was like the the best symbiosis of music and art that I. You, you know like, yeah it's I remember the first time when I was like in high school or whatever when I first you know seeing uh, I think it was actually the Family Man album cover and then after that uh, Slip It In those are like the first two records but Black Flag because I mean look, this is back in the 80s so like you didn't have you couldn't get at any of this stuff right now. you had to know yeah. exactly where to go to find these things and it wasn't like you'd go to a record store and there'd be like the entire catalog would be available. It's like sometimes you would have a family man and slip it in for the only two records that you, you know, you had, you know? And it was like so incredibly right, exactly representative of, even though they weren't necessarily developed to be representative. Right, yeah. Other, but somehow it was exact, maybe because they were brothers, Greg Inn and Raymond Pettibone. But they were exactly hitting on the same wavelength yeah. of a time and a place, I think, at that particular junction in our continuum here. You know, Grant Ginn with his discordant take on like punk rock music and hardcore and Pettibone with his like distorted, dystopian view of culture being expressed by his single line drawings. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And there hasn't been anything no. like it, really. No. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, oh, lightning. <laughs> Actually, just on a whim, um, you, you mentioned that you, uh, you like comics, right? So, one, did you ever, does the name Nestor Redondo, or Alfredo Alcala, like any of these names, like, does that ring a bell with you? Yeah, but I, but I, uh, those are artists? Yeah, they're, they're artists, and they, they were like, they did like, Back in the 70s, it's like there was, um, you know, it was looking to cut corners, you know, and it was trying to find a way to get more value for your dollar. Uh, Marvel Comics and Warren Publishing, they, they ended up outsourcing a lot of the artwork for their larger format magazines like Savage Sword of Conan. Right, right. Okay. Oh, both these, those guys did Conan. Yeah, these right. South yeah, American yeah. artists. And some of the... the, the some of your artwork reminds me of like Nestor Redondo. Oh wow! Who did a lot of like all of his women with these like dark hair, you know? I'll have to, I'll have to, because I had, I was, I was, I used to do Colin the Barbarian drawings <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, I was big and and Barry, I mean Barry Smith. Oh yeah, like, Barry like, Smith, yeah, totally mind blowing. Um, I, I, I do recognize those names. I'm gonna have to take a look at that because, uh, especially the women. Like the drawings you have with the women, it's like I'm like wow, that's like very much like you know, um, you know, and, and and in those larger format black and white magazines, they were like naked and there was like they're a little racier, like right? Color versions, yeah, yeah. Stand versions of the comics, yeah. But yeah, that actually, we we're talking about Boston. It's like one of like you were in two bands that I worshipped when I lived in Boston, you know, Slaughter Shack and of course Lagertona and. and Anyone who's listening to this podcast knows how much reverence I have for Lagertona. I don't talk a whole lot about Slaughter Shack, but like, I think it's worth talking about, really, because it's like, you guys were like kind of like Slaughter Shack and Lagertona, both I feel like were either slightly ahead of their time or slightly a couple years too late. Yeah, know? yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I know that you have like more of a art, like an art background. So how did you actually get into music, though? I mean, I, didn't you go to the museum school? Yeah. Or, um, or yeah, we went to the museum school. Yeah. And uh, Dana from Slaughter Shack actually, uh, the, the first year I was there, I got a studio. And we were in, this is the, before the school was redone, I think it was the last year before they built, like the, the, there was, the new building was under construction, so they had right. some rental stuff. So they had a, a studio, it was in the Wentworth 
Institute of Technology oh, yeah. building, mm-hmm. yeah. and it was in the basement, and it was like, I mean, it was a fire pit, fire trap, like kind of into that area, like you could still smoke cigarettes oh, yeah, back down there, there. and it was yeah. like, we were like down the hall, and all the way the last room, and there were maybe six of us in one room that was broken up into little things, and I had a pretty small stall, but right next to me, Dana Ong had a stall, and we had, there was like, a, if we were the only two people, there was like one boombox for the room yeah. that had a radio. Mm-hmm. And if the other people were in there, like everyone would play WFNX, which is like yeah. New Wave Top 40-ish yeah, stuff. Definitely. And, but if they came in and Dana and I were there, she'd be like, do you mind? And I'd be like, fuck yeah, put on your stuff. And it was Stooges, Gun Club, Birthday Party, Black Flag. And it was all like stuff. We just immediately had this bond. Sure. And as that happens, you know, when you meet people who back then, especially, yeah. you know, like there was no one listening to this music. Yeah. Really, you know? And that, and, and also the work that she was doing was dark and heavy and, um, I, f- I can't remember when it was, but she's like, do you want to... She's like, I'm putting a band together. Do you want to come down and try to sing? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and had you sang prior to that, though? I'd done, like, I'd done... Actually, yeah, I sang a couple times in high school. I had friends that had bands, and I was always into music. I had friends that had bands, and I, I did... Uh, I performed uh, once was... Roadrunner by the Modern Lovers okay, yeah. at a talent show at high school sure. and they, I think once was Roadrunner and White Riot at a clash and then another time I did Anarchy in the USA like two different performances um, so it was and I mean and, and there was there really wasn't there were maybe three people in the school that knew what I was doing you know it was like I know the feeling yeah <laughs> um, and, and I also I always read rock bios as a kid you know and and every everyone everyone from england every band from england seemed to have met in art school and so i was like if i go to art school maybe i'll find a band like i i wasn't i knew that i couldn't play guitar well enough to go to music school yeah definitely. and i didn't really have any interest in going to music school but i was like okay, art school i'll find the music and i did and so, yeah, and we were all, Dana had played before in St. Louis with some people, but everyone else in Slaughter Shack, we were all first-timers. Now, the thing about Slaughter Shack, too, is, like, I think, like, where you guys, what you guys started, where you started and where you ended were almost two different things. Yeah, yeah, it was a crazy, yeah. long, it was a crazy trajectory. Yeah. And, and, and that it, and involved a lot of changing members. Right, right. Because when I started, it was me and... Three women, and then by the end, Dana was the only woman. Yeah. And and we went, yeah, we went through a lot of people, and and kind of, I mean, progressed and changed as it went along. Because it was pretty like metal towards the end. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. In the beginning, it was, like, it was like more like swans kind of. Like yeah, weird, I mean, yeah, definitely like butthole surfers, yeah. Sonic Youthy, like that. I mean, that's what we were aspiring to. I feel like at the beginning, and, and gun clubbish in a way, like these things, and then. And kind of, kind of with, with elements of bluesy, yeah, shit. And then, yeah. and then by the end, it was almost straight ahead. It was, metal, metal. You know? yeah. it was like like uh, Trouble or Danzig or something like that. You know, like kind of like maybe not as like stony as like Trouble, but there was like a like a mid tempo metal hard rock kind of thing going on. Yeah. Which I thought, but I still thought, man, I mean, you know, fucking stuff's awesome. Almost, and, I, and I've made this statement, and I don't know if like it's true or not, but I feel like, like without ever meeting you, I've known so much about all this, this band because I used to go watch you guys play when I was in college, and it was like, oh yeah, yeah they played with this band White Zombie, and a, a friend of mine, a high school friend of mine, was a guitar player on White Zombie for like a period of time. His name was John Ritchie. Oh, okay. And I knew I knew Jay. Okay, yeah, he was before Jay. Oh, okay, right. I remember I ran into John, like in. Christmas break one day and he's all like you know it's like some metal dude with like a you know a denim vest and everything and baseball hat you know backwards and I'm like what are you up to man he's like oh, I'm playing this like total devil band called White Zombie right and 
like the time frames of what you guys are doing, and they're not so much the the techno version of what they turn into, but the Make Them Die Slowly album is like there's such a similarity between Lagertona. I mean, I'm sorry, Lagertona, um, Slaughter Shack, and White Zombie. That I wonder, do you guys ever play shows or we do? We played show. We played a couple, maybe two, at least two times, and, and always in Boston. Like we played, I feel like we played the rap with them. Maybe somewhere else. I feel like it was more than once. Um, but Rob Zombie was just a real dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not in any way trying to equate the two bands. Yeah, together, no, no, no. It's stylistically, just like, there. Was yeah, no. There, I mean, there was definitely. And I mean, I, I also. I feel like it's kind of thing. I was super young and super competitive, you know, yeah. and like you wanted your band to be the best, and 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 so, and I I was also really shy, and so I I didn't know how to reach out to. Other people in other bands if I was interested like I just didn't have I didn't really have that skill set yeah. I feel like um, and you know super defensive like oh no we're we're heavy or whatever sure and so uh, I never kind of made nice but I know I know we tried to make nice with Rob a couple times and he was just yeah. he was I mean, like, dude, believe me I'm the king of not making <laughs> nice with people man I don't believe it I'm totally under, on the same page as you man um and so, like, so I, and then, uh, and then when it became like the, and, uh, but the, the, what was it, Shauna? Was that the bass player? I think so, yeah. She Shana. was like super sweet to us yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, oh, I think we played at Axis with them too. Okay. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Um, but, it, I, but for whatever reason, I never kind of, I didn't connect up with them, though I always had an eye on it. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I heard you guys way before I heard them. And I was like, man, this is like, you know, because when John got involved in that band, that's when I, you know, suddenly you're able to find their records. Like they had two records out that were like the metal version of the band. It was like Make Them Die Slowly and like Soul Crusher or whatever. I think Iggy Pop like shouted him out in some interview I read one time. And um, and I was just like, man, this sounds a lot like Slaughter Shack, man. I was just like thinking like, you know, since I heard you guys first, I was like, man, you know, sometimes there's like a little bit of this, you know, Influence that goes on, and, and I always thought that you know, Slaughter Shack was a way more interesting band, like musically. Thank you, and especially <laughs> like knowing that the band started in one place and turned into something else. And I always liked that because you know, even even Prong, like that band Prong, like they started out more like a noisy, like live skull kind of band, right, right, and they became like this like tight metal band or whatever, you know, and then whatever they turned in, they did more even industrial type stuff. But I always found it interesting that you can make music that maybe people that listen to it are are fans of, say, one specific genre. But when you start talking to people that are in the band, they're like, oh, I like Killing Joke and I like, you know, Black Sabbath and I like Slayer and I like Joy Division and like all this stuff. And it's it just generally I think that that makes the band more deep and interesting yeah, as yeah. opposed to a bunch of dudes who have the same record in their record collections. You know? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean, that was just my, you know, my, my little take on that, you know. And then Lagotona was like another band that, you know, I mean, Taz and I played together right. briefly, you know, in the beginning of another band that I had. The Anodyne, right? Anodyne, yeah. Which is like kind of a rip off of Lagotona in some ways. <laughs> so why not, you know, if you're going to do a band that's influenced by another band, why not steal one of their members, you know, so, or, or play with one of their members, you know. But, uh, but that, I remember seeing um, La Gratona when you were Suicide King. And oh, wow. Two yeah. guitar lineup. Yeah, with Dean. And then you had, had a, you looked completely different in that band. And I was like, when I heard you sing, though, I'm like, that's the fucking guy from Slaughter Shack. And I was like, okay. And then I started paying attention to what you guys were doing. But then it morphed into La Gratona. So. And you're still doing music, too. Or you have done I have, yeah, yeah, I've done stuff uh, in New York. Uh, I had, I played with, Dana and I played again, together again uh, for a few years, and, and, but unfortunately, no recordings ah, of that. Damn. And, and that, that band was great. It was, I mean, it was great, whatever. It was great to play together. We called Lupo Voluma. Okay. And uh, played with another uh, guy, Jamie and Donovan, and uh, it was definitely more like I. I feel like it was. Uh, I was big into laughing hyenas oh, at yeah, the time. Like totally. it was yeah. kind of more along that vibe. Like uh, like it was a bit more rock yeah. than metal, blues kind blues of, kind of thing. Yeah. 
and and like we we got to play we played like Coney Island High once a month and played we played CDs and things so, but we, we were like throw gear in a cab and drive somewhere but it was all you know it was all the neighborhood but it was yeah. all it was all awesome I mean, it was like it, it was that was that yeah, was I fun yeah I see that yeah and then uh and then I did the Finger record, um, which we never played live. That was all just done in the studio. You did that Snyder's studio, right? Was that no? That was a no. The the uh, the Finger stuff was done at Pelagroso okay. studio uh, from in the past. It was his studio, and uh, uh, but we the Schneider stuff it was Murder Baby which oh was, that's what it was that's yeah, the yeah. guys that I collaborated with like yeah. when I left that was a great name by the way oh thank you yeah, yeah but that was a, a awesome project uh, Chris Vitale okay played bass in that and Matt Martin who's from Boston did Chevy Heston did you oh yeah that? yeah okay yeah mm-hmm. so it was him and then the and then uh, David Hockbaum who was part of Goldmine Shithouse played drums and Travis who's part of the Shithouse played uh, Theremin and then, oh, wow. we, and then when we recorded, we had a bunch of guests. Dana actually played on that record, cool. and um, uh, from Stompbox guitarist. Oh, uh, Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. And sick guitar. Player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just talking about that band, actually. That's like one of these bands that you know no one knows about either. That's not not like there's a series of bands. Yeah. Bull, <laughs> Bull of Volta. Who was on a major label that no one knows who the fuck they are and they're great. Yeah. Stopbox, who no one knows who they are and they're you know they're good. I would not consider great, but they're a good band. Yeah. And but the guys in the band are cool though. Very cool guys. Yeah, Jeff, yeah. And gifted musician. Oh yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. But that was that was the most fun I ever had in the studio. That was incredible. But that because we uh, my, the Goldmine Shithouse was a art collaborative work and our usual. I we started just as I was leaving New York. Mm-hmm. We started working together doing art and then uh, so we would we would get together on Saturday nights and paint and the three of us me, David and Travis like, were like oh wow this is really turning into something great and then and then after a little while on Sundays we would go and play at um, Todd at Todd and Matt Martin Todd Perlmutter who was in Japono oh, yeah. and, and uh, Orangutan and yep, Blue Maker yep. so he had a place over on 6th Street between B and C or something okay. like that yeah. and he had, they had a recording studio sure. in the basement and, and so we would and so Matt lived there and so we started playing music on Sundays so we would make art all night Saturday night and then and it was like total like improv stoner metal stuff we would come up with a riff but it became this really like a way to really uh, strengthen our vocabulary in a short amount of time and I would put I would put or someone would put words in a painting on Saturday night and then I'd sing about them the next day and then Matt would record us and then he would write down what he thought that I was saying and then that in turn would become the name of a painting or the name of a song so it's just like, this it's total like cyclical. weird game yeah. of telephone type That's pretty thing cool, actually, yeah. and then so when uh, and we only did a few shows we played live and it was it was kind of we always had like a few riffs and we would just Improv sure, and, with, and yeah, and would have guest guitarists who never even practiced with us come up and play. Dana did that live, and Joan Wasser and Allegra, who used to work at Coney Island with me, and, uh, and it it was super fun. It sounds like fun. yeah, Definitely. and and uh, but then when we did the record with Andrew, it was right before my first son was born, uh, the summer before. But we did the same thing when we were making art. We would go and live in a gallery for two weeks and make the show in that time and just live there and be open all the time have people come in and and uh, that like the story of how we made the work went into the show and it became this whole thing um, but we did the we did the record in a similar way where during the day we made all the art we we traded art for the recording, right? And so we and we couldn't record till after six because of where the studio. Yeah, was. I remember that. Yeah, there was like businesses. Yeah, and generally it was nighttime work. So and yeah. so during the day we'd make paintings, and then at night we'd work on the record, and then it also just kind of, as a singer especially, I spent so many times in the studios. Like like when we did the La Ratona record, I read a hundred magazines about yeah. PJ. Uh, 
PJ Harvey. <laughs> you know, because that's what was there. But it, it was always very anxiety ridden, and this was like, oh, okay, I can do stuff while we're, and that was super fun. Yeah, you sit around a lot if you're like in general in a band and you're recording. But if you're just if you're just doing vocals, it's like you just wait for everyone to finish their parts and yeah. everything, and yeah, it can be stressful. At yeah. Times. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, like a couple of records ago, our bass player. We were there for a month, and like he didn't do anything for three weeks. He just sat there and played, practiced essentially, and like got food and you know drank coffee, and that was it. You know, then like I, I'm like, damn, I can't imagine just like how stressed out I, I would be stressed yeah. out just like waiting for yeah. like, to go out there and do my thing, you know, like that. But um, so like um, one of the things about the work that you've done in music is like the lyrics. Okay, now do you? find it hard to write lyrics or how easy does that come to you it's I, it you know I'm I'm lucky in that two or three songs in my entire history I mean of of, of, of like of actual performing bands and stuff like that like uh, excluding excluding the murder baby which was almost all uh, just off the top of my head um, and that was that was due to the finger, the way we recorded it was without any practice, mm. and uh, that was with Jesse Mallon and oh, yeah. Johnny T and oh. Ryan Adams playing guitar. Oh, he wow. was yeah. friends with all the like worked with them, not with Ryan, but but uh, but he was friends with Jesse, and they were like, "Oh, we want to do this hardcore band. Do you want to sing?" And I was like, "Yes." And so then we just went into the studio. I didn't know how it was going to go at all, but they just wrote the songs and I was sitting in the booth and they were like and we're doing vocals next and so we did it all in like one day the like, first like the way like who's screwed do and those bands just to record you just kind of go in there and do it all in one day yeah I mean I would imagine that who's screwed do at least wrote the songs like this oh, was just right. like, okay, like, just like I mean I, 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 I hope I, I hope yeah. so because otherwise I, I don't know how they made such great <laughs> records but um but so that was like a real and I, I know that there were a couple of songs that I was like I think Ryan wrote the lyrics to one of those songs anyway like but but working that way a couple of times really opened me up to being like oh I can I can work like that if yeah. I want to and that's how when I'd done that right before Murder Baby so that was but other than that when, I, when I'm actually writing stuff like there are a few songs where it just comes together like maybe someone's playing a riff in the studio and I just start singing, and then other times I belabor it over yeah. like a word, a phrase, and and I do anything else. You know, it's my, my only equivalent of now is like when I do a art show, I have to write an artist statement, and it's like I'd rather go to the dentist, <laughs> and and I'll find anything else that I can possibly do, and I'm thinking about it, but but it's just it's the hardest thing for me to do. So sometimes lyrics have that. I like dread writing lyrics, man. I mean, I write so much of other stuff besides lyrics that I would you would think that writing would be something I enjoy writing lyrics, but it's like yeah. your writing's really good. It, thank you, thank yeah. you very much. I appreciate that seriously because I work really hard at it. Yeah, you know? no, it's 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 the most intelligent writing about metal that I've read. Oh, thanks, so. thank you. With that said, I have a hard time writing <laughs> lyrics because it's like. I literally am, am changing them as we're tracking. Like, I'm like, man, this word doesn't work here. Or, like, something. It's, like, such, like, uh, you know, uh, like, and the other thing, too, is, like, you can track guitars when you're not feeling well. Like, you could be, like, tired or whatever. But you have to be, like, completely in the moment when you're singing. So it's, like, you can't have a cold. You can't be tired. You can't be, like full from dinner you know, <laughs> right. that kind of thing yeah, yeah. like on the last album like I played bass and sang I played I played a lot of the instruments on our last record and we would track bass during the day right so I'd play bass all day and then there was like a break for dinner and then we would track vocals so guess what for dinner everyone's like throwing down with these like fish dinners and stuff and I'm like having like some mangoes and water <laughs> yeah. and I'm like you know nuts and stuff like that because I knew I was going to be singing for like the next four hours after that so it was like pretty brutal but but you can't you can't be full you no. gotta be like in that mindset yeah. to do it effectively you know yeah I always had the, the, the you know like was it one and a half slices of pizza between soundcheck and, and oh, a, yeah. a midnight headlining too. thing like yeah. it was terrible 
it's funny though how like the phys- it's a physical thing you know yeah. I mean music in general but vocal singing is like a you know especially like you know with a intense delivery you know it's like it's a physical it's like wrestling or doing kickboxing or something like that you have to really be keyed in like physically you know it's 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 uh and you know I don't know it's a bit different you know and that, I'm always interested in what people do like how they're it doesn't sound like it's much different than what I yeah. do. Yeah. But um, so one quick question about this. Last night you had a bunch of stuff for sale, you know, some original artwork, some uh, T-shirts, patches, all that kind of stuff. Are the uh, the T-shirts hand screened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, awesome. the patches are the only things that I've got. I yeah, got those made. Yeah. Those were made in China by some company in Florida or something. Um, but I oversaw that, you know, it was my design and everything like that. But the t-shirts I hand, yeah. I hand screened. So, um, I don't know why. No, <laughs> you know I, I mean? like that, man. It has but, like that, but, uh, that DIY, like it, it's a, it's a vibe. You yeah. Know what I mean, and I like that, you know. I have a really primitive setup that's often frustrating, but, uh, but. It's just such a great, like screen print. I mean, I don't know anything about, I can't really draw I can't you know screen print or any of these things or escape me you know what I mean but it's like I always really dug the idea of screen printing because it's like such like a tactile like I don't know how anything's made when it comes to like printed work or artwork or prints or anything I have no clue I just know I've seen but I've seen people screen print and the way everything's you know if you're doing more in one color it's like separated and you layer everything down and it's just like and it's I've seen people do it in the bathroom of an apartment I've lived in, and then I've gone to like professional screen printing shops, and the process is all basically the same. Yeah, you yeah. know, and it's like so cool that you can you can do something like that. You can do like a limited run of shirts to sell at a, an art gallery, and it's just fucking rad. I think. Right. So, can people that are listening to this, and if they're you know curious about your work, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, one of my New Year's resolutions for the past five years has been to make a website. Okay. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. And I know it's easy now. Um, but not as, uh, not as easy as you think. Uh, CashMachine.LA has a number of publications. Okay. So books. And the I did this this book called uh, uh, the, 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 the Cheap Dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that's where it's the same. I did the same. After after one show, I was trying to, I was trying to keep momentum up and trying to find the right drawing instrument. And so I did the same drawing, like probably I did like 80 of them, um, and then with a different caption under each one. And then edited it down to about 60 of them and then put them in a row. And so that, that and that's the one that's like a, that looks like it's a pulp novel yeah. kind of. And that one's, uh, that one's there, but then we also did an audio cassette. So there's like a book on yeah. tape yep. that's like three, that okay. that's <laughs> yeah. three minutes awesome. long. Um, I did a re- I did a couple readings of that, which is pretty hysterical, because <laughs> yeah. you know it was like a five minute thing. Um, but so that they have they have some of the zines and stuff, and then uh, my Instagram is Colin Burns Art, and I'm on Facebook. But uh, if like everything that I have is for sale. Yeah, well, that's um, what I'm getting at. It's like if someone wants to buy something, like what these are the pet channels. Those are the channels. DM me at Instagram at Colin Burns Art. Like honestly, like uh, I'll, it might take a little while, but I'll be happy to get back to you. And, and one day, hopefully soon, I'll have a, I'll have my own uh, website. And I, it's the name of the game these days, yeah. man. E-commerce. Yeah, it's a new idea yeah. that's out there. The kids are catching on to that. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot, Colin. I appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you so you know, much. You're, you're, you're here visiting New York City. You got you know the art gallery, um, the showing going on. Yeah, and, uh, it's up till the 24th. Oh, so people in the tri-state area, New York City people, where can they go look at your artwork? Uh, 70, it's at a uh, storefront project at 70 Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. Um, one to six-ish hours, I think they have a website they have they they are available online so you can find out exactly when or contact them and that's up till June 24th oh so there's still a few weeks for yeah. people to get down there and check it out and um, yeah so that's great man I appreciate it thank you very much thank you cheers <laughs> Wait, <laughs>